Welcome back to the Memory Jogger Podcast with Jason and Wyatt. This is Jason over here, and over there is Wyatt. I am over here, but I don't know where here he is, so I could be anywhere. Just not in your underwear. (laughs) I appreciate that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, as always, we are ready to jog our memories and run down a few childhood dreams, which we hope will actually trigger a few memories of your own as you listen to the show. Well, Wyatt, tonight's episode is going to be our second Memory Jogger special. That is part of another 80s collaboration with our pals from the 80s League. And this time we're here to talk about 80s innovations. Yes, there we have, have so many things that have come through the 80s. If not founded in the 80s, it was, I will call it, excelled or propelled, whichever term you want to use, in the 80s. And uh, I, I think it really really is just a, 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 an interesting era you know we say we love yeah. the 80s and typically it's due to uh, the toys or cartoons or shows or something like that but this was actually a good topic that our buddies yeah. came up with and it made me think what what were some of the things that came out of the 80s that were really the, the thing that set the tone for I'll call it modern day, uh, really 30 years ago. You know, I, I joke, uh, I know to you quite a bit, but I joke sometimes on our podcast that, you know, Kit is becoming more and more real. I can't exactly claim Kit was um, an innovation, but in a way he was because if you think about it, right. all everything was married into that car. And even though it took 30 years, 30 plus years, we are starting to get autonomous cars. They aren't complete kits. uh, I would call them. They're not jumping. They're not, you know, they don't have the molecular bonded shell. Uh, They can't drive through lava like one episode or float on the ocean like the other one. But, you know, we're we're getting there. Um, The downside is it's not a Trans Am. We're getting them in, what's the latest model that they're getting? Is it Lexus or... um, Oh, I can't remember who's kind of the leader of the pack right now of making the autonomous, but nonetheless, it's it's the high end luxury cars. It's not right. It's not a sports car. I mean, come might here. Be, it might be Tesla. I can't remember. Yeah, Tesla's the one. Is it Tesla? Okay. Yeah. So I but, keep uh, waiting. Maybe maybe somewhere deep in a dungeon back office somewhere of GM. This is why Pontiac has been banned <laughs> for a little bit. And they're going to rebirth. They're going to have a retro kit, and it actually is going to work. <laughs> and you know, every one of us is going to go to the go to the GM dealer or Pontiac dealer, going, "I want kit." <laughs> well, you know, they, the uh, GM engineers and marketing people, you know, that could be their homework. They're back there watching uh, Night Rider episodes, and how can we th- get this into uh, modern day cars? <laughs> I want that job. If all I have to do is watch Kit, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Well, uh, this uh, 80s innovations, it, we, we tend to think about technology like that and everything that is kind of birthed in the 80s and, and is commonplace now today or maybe even some things that uh, they thought were the you know, next great thing that never really took off. 
that's what we kind of think about, I guess, when we think of uh, innovations. There's some stuff outside of technology, though, that came out of the 80s that I I think we want to discuss tonight um, on a, you know, like music level and um, toys, that kind of thing. Things that we saw that were just like, wow, I can't believe this is uh, this is available for uh, Santa Claus to bring me, you know, that kind of a thing. <laughs> But uh, before we get into our, you know, regular portion of the podcast tonight, just wanted to say this is part of what we're calling the 80s League over on Facebook. And uh, we wanted to essentially invite more people. If you want to join up, we're doing this, I guess, trying to do this on a monthly basis where we're coming up with a topic and either uh, uh, podcasting or uh, if you just want to do a a blog post, something like that. Uh, you can participate in those areas, but it's the same uh, same people again. Basically, it's going to be uh, the '80s Reboot Overdrive podcast and uh, blog. We've also got uh, Return to the '80s blog and also now podcast. And then we've got uh, two blogs: Ouija Midget and Killer Kitsch, that are over on WordPress. And uh, we're going to put the links to um, their contributions up on rediscoverthe80s.com. We'll also put uh, links in our uh, our YouTube uh, video if you're listening to this on YouTube. So you can find those easily and, uh, and kind of keep the conversation going as we uh, do this special episode. Well, um, we really, I guess, really don't have a format tonight, Wyatt. We basically brainstormed, and I think what we decided on is uh, we've got a kind of a long list here and we're going to go back and forth, kind of pick and choose uh, maybe some things that are on our mind, um, maybe our top three, and then uh, maybe we'll just run down the list as uh, some honorable mentions uh, after we go back and forth and uh, and talk about some of these things. But I guess before we get into that, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, there's a documentary on uh, Netflix now that was produced by CNN called the eighties and they've done the sixties and the seventies as well. And it's, it's about a, I think an eight part miniseries. watching that. I got a lot of ideas for this podcast. Uh, there was one episode essentially on eighties uh, technology and innovations and, and such like that, uh, that I just started writing a bunch of stuff down. But I would invite people to go over to Netflix and check that out while it's you know still on there. I'm not sure how long it'll be there. Obviously, uh, at least through the end of January here. But some great episodes on there. There's uh, one on TV, the very first one that was really great. Talked about uh, you know uh, appointment television, like who shot Jr. and then the uh, the finale of Mash, uh, those kind of things. And then there's one on music and MTV and how that all changed the the industry and then uh, several others uh, president reagan and uh and then this one on the inventions which is really cool but i guess uh well since i'm blabbing on let's go ahead and get into the list G- give me some of the give me the first thing that kind of came to mind when you're thinking 80s innovations and how that affected your childhood or your household in particular well as much as i wanted to pick on kit uh, when we were when we got the assignment, I really thought, you know, there's going to be someone that picks Kit, and I didn't want to do double up articles. Um, <laughs> the one that hit me though, not really as a kid, 
but I guess more as a driver team was electronic fuel injection. And people were thinking, well, what the heck are you thinking about? And, you know, that kind of thing and, and technology in the 80s, you know. But if you think about it, I did a little bit of research. EFI has been actually around for actually quite a while. It just never was able to be marketed because of the expense and mm-hmm. uh, the impracticality of, of the components at the time. We started seeing something in 80 or 81 starting to dawn, but we really didn't get the push until about, I would say about 86, 87, when that really just was catapulted. Every, just about every car had some form of EFI attached to it. There were some, I'll call it laggard engines. There were still some that that, mm-hmm. that uh, didn't do it. Jeep, AMC, back when it was still AMC, American Motors Corporation or company, they still had carburetor en- engines on their on their vehicles. They had um, my '86 Turismo had the 2.2, and it was still carburetor. But I think your mom's Daytona, I want to say it was an '87 mm-hmm. or '89, one of the two. It had fuel injected. Um, yeah, yeah, and I can I can remember, you know, when I was first learning how to drive and you know, learning on dad's truck or some other things, you know, you step on the gas before you start the car. Right. Give it a little fuel, you know. And then when the whole, you know, fuel injection really hit, you didn't do that anymore. You know? <laughs> that no. was a no-no. So that was, you know, kind of how it affected me. And I remember thinking that, you know, as I started driving different cars and such, that uh, fuel injection, you just turn the key and it's ready to go. Right, and I even learned a quirk in my 94 Dakota. The effect doesn't seem to be the same here than any of the newer vehicles I've had, but my 94 would start a little bit, I would call it more prompt, if I let the key turn on and wait till I hear the fuel pump stop. Because uh-huh. I would hear it cycle, and you'd hear it, and then you'd start it, and it would seem to fire a little bit quicker uh, than if I were to you know, just turn the key and go type of thing. But nonetheless, I mean, if you look at it, the whole topic of EFI was it has spawned generations of itself. You got the multi-port, you got throttle body, you got all these other styles of fuel injection that has turned even staple engines for years. Uh, Me being the Dodge guy in the 318, now that was (laughs) Dodge's... uh, really that was its trademark was the 318 the 360 and so forth but for the 318 you know i have a 318 out of my carport here my my 78 dodge and it's it says it gets a measly 155 horsepower <laughs> um, my v6 that i had in my 94 dakota had 165 and as the generations have gone they've been able to tweak it because of all the electronics uh, I can't remember what they were up to as far as horsepower. I want to say they were in the 230s, 240s of the 318 before they downsized the motor. They went with a whole new platform. Hmm. They went away from the 318. They went to the my uh, my 05 Dakota. They started making the 4.7 V8, which was a slightly smaller you know, V8, but it could do the same, if not more, horsepower than the 318 and a little bit smaller package 
you know, cut a little bit of weight, you know, probably another half mile to the gallon or more in a truck. So it was, like I said, this EFI really just catapulted our, our vehicles into what they are now. And like I said, it, it's become more reliable. I know early on, and Jason, you remember this, this, that, that ice storm that hit us, uh, was it 92 93 that time frame 93 was the the blizzard yeah yeah and i still remember you know i had the carbureted old 86 turismo and for whatever reason that thing fired right up and there were mm-hmm. you could talk to just about anybody and they were having problems starting their fuel injected cars it was fouling up the plugs and, and and all types of things and i remember having to jump your mom's car mm-hmm. that one time trying to you know, trying to get it freed up. And luckily it started. I didn't, uh, with everybody else's uh, having bad luck, I kind of thought that was the the case. But like I said, AFI is just, it's it's changed. It keeps changing. I used to say not for the better until I, uh, until I had to actually tinker with my 78 Dodge and the carburetor on it. Uh, it makes me appreciate computer modules on the cars all much more. <laughs> I don't have to sit there and go, oh, it's warm out. I have to tweak the idle and the rich and lean mixture a little bit. <laughs> you know, every every time it gets too cold, I got to go out and change it again. But uh, yeah, I thought that was quite, a, quite the innovation for me. What about you? What was your, I would call it number one or one, one that really came to mind? Wow. Well, th- there's just so many here that uh, oh, I've got listed that, you know, we talked about the the VCR already in our mm-hmm. you know previous show, and our household was somewhat late to the show for a lot of this technology, and most of it was budgetary reasons. You know, back in the day to to get a VCR, you know, you're plopping down a couple hundred, if not more, when they first came out. Uh, so it was a while before they became a lot more affordable. But there's a lot of things. That, you know, I'm going to go to I'm going to go to the Walkman as as one that it wasn't uh, wasn't too far out of the price range. I still have my Walkman. I found it I don't know, a couple of years ago, and now I've misplaced it again because <laughs> I was going to get out those uh, <laughs> some of those mixtapes that I have sitting out in the garage, and I can't find my Walkman now to play them. But anyway, you know, you think about just the portability of it and being able to take your music essentially wherever you wanted to go. Uh, as long as you had a couple extra batteries in your pocket <laughs> to keep That's that it. going. But, you know, even with that, and then I don't know if they had like the AM and FM radio portable before the Walkman came out, but that well, was had, the deal when you had the when you had the radio and then you could switch over to your Walkman too and, and pop in a cassette. Right. Well, they did have. I don't know if it was separate bands, mm-hmm. but I do remember the old portable AM radios. I still have um, an AM radio. Really, I feel like it's ancient. Uh, honestly, <laughs> my grandmother gave it to me, and it and it's, it has its built-in speaker. It's oh. It's probably about the size of a deck of cards, a little bit thicker, but about the you know the height and yeah, width of yeah. it. And I still have it lingering around. I used to have a Coke bottle AM radio. Uh, you, you <laughs> twisted the 
I remember those novelty radios. Yeah, I, so, but yes, the Walkman, um, mine got stolen, of all things. Oh, wow. Don't know who took it. I was in uh, my technical training down at Lackland, and I was uh, helping out at the church service uh, there in the sound booth and laid it there. I'd, I'd walk with it, you know, listening mm-hmm. to a mixtape probably on the way to the church service, and uh, it basically walked on its own. <laughs> so, Somebody walked off with it. <laughs> that That's it. I haven't seen it since. But uh, tell you what, that was a tough old beast because, you know, I, for me, I, I wore that thing out. I'm sure you did too. Yeah. Yeah, and well, I, I mean, I was I'm surprised it was still working when I got it, you know, and when I first found it, I immediately you know wanted to show it to my two boys. And I remember this because I was like, oh, face palm. Because <laughs> well, one of them asked me, "Oh, dad, is that thing play uh, records?" <laughs> no, 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 no. Records and cassettes are different. Yes, it's music. But get the terminology right there, buddy. <laughs> so I went through a whole uh, history lesson there on Walkmans. What fascinates <laughs> me, though, you know, the terminology, right? So me being at uh, where I was before in the broadcast world, they still use the word tape, even mm-hmm. when we don't tape anything anymore. <laughs> and it's, it, it was coined, I would say, in the 80s, probably a little bit earlier, but it, it was really coined, I think, in the 80s when you oh, wanted yeah. to tape anything if you meant audio or you meant video it didn't matter you taped it you taped it you didn't record you taped it and that's what they've right. been saying now you know you're you're watching you know literally a digital rendition or digital broadcast or something well we taped it last week uh, you didn't tape <laughs> it you freaking dvr'd it you yeah. didn't tape it but no yeah. that's that's the terminology and I, I, you know it's it's actually your your boy um saying that just kind of yeah. Well, and, and I guess to piggyback a little bit off of the Walkman, you know, in the early 80s is when compact discs came out. And then right. I, I think in the early 90s when I got a Discman and you pop your CD in the, in the right. portable player. And that, for the longest time, was my CD player in the car. Mm-hmm. Because you had those uh, special cassettes, you popped in the cassette player in your car, and then you could fire up the the discman sitting on your passenger seat or wherever you wanted to keep it, right? And play your CDs. And I remember the the loudness, the sheer not necessarily quality, but it just seemed like playing the CD through there through your uh, audio system in your car versus just a cassette was so much louder. And you could really crank it up then, but then those early discmen, you could uh, hit a small pothole in the road and it's skipping, you know? Oh, yes. Those things skipped like they were, you know, had jump ropes, you know? It was, (laughs) it was, there was no, like, I remember putting like, you know, jackets and shirts and stuff in my passenger seat and trying to keep that thing from, you know, (laughs) jumping around and skipping. But that uh, that, that kind of came with the territory once you got into the CD world. But uh, that was uh, and my discman was actually uh, borrowed and never returned when I was in college. So that thing's long gone. Uh, my uh, I never had the disc man. I had the 
no, I take that back. I did have a disc van. Don't know where it ever ended up. Uh, like you, it, I did the same thing. You know, slapped the cassette audio transfer device into my cassette deck to to play it. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I've had cheaper versions throughout the years. Uh, one of which, it, I, I swear, you touched it, it skipped. And uh, yeah, yeah, it it it, uh, it like Red Bull. It got wings real quick. <laughs> uh, but uh, nonetheless, I you know I used to use that for number of things. In fact, when I was doing my early DJing, uh, grab one of those before I uh, ended up getting my I'll call it my pro side of the you know CD drawers. Gotcha. But, well, yeah. uh, let's get into the uh, the next one. What's your next choice in the '80s innovations? Oh, you know I, I'm kind of leaning towards Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> and it seems like a toy and, you know, whatever, but I was trying to think of what toy or what what obscure, I tried to make it obscure, thing came out like robotics. Mm-hmm. And it actually, that, that, I don't know why that surfaced in my head, but the Teddy Ruxpin, and I was doing some digging, and it's the first portable animatronic is what they classified as, where it's it actually moved the mouth Right. I'll, I won't call in line with the audio, but they kind of got it close. Uh-huh. And you could pick up, you know, a cassette and throw it in there. And, and I guess the earlier models, you could put any, uh, you could only put the Teddy Ruxpin cassettes in there. And that was the only thing that it was keyed on it. It was like there was a audio track or, or something. Or like that, a tone or something. Right. And that's what triggered that it knew it was, you know, basically the manufacturer. See, I always wondered that because... Now I never had a Teddy Ruxpin, but I remember the uh, the kid that was a couple years younger than me that uh, lived up the street. He had one, and I was all the time wanting to like sneak my Run DMC tape and throw <laughs> it in there and hear Teddy rap, but I never did. And I always wondered about that. You know, can you just play normal? You know, are you going to hear "Living on a Prayer" <laughs> sung by Teddy Ruxpin, or how that worked? Right. Well, supposedly, the early, maybe it's the flip-flop, the early edition allowed it, maybe the second uh-huh. gen, uh, the next one, they figured it out, so they put the code on it. Uh, I think that's what it was. But nonetheless, I was, you know, I was do- doing the history on animatronics, and it goes mm-hmm. back. Uh, Disney was the one that first coined it, coined that terminology, and there's huge animatronics all over, but Teddy Ruxpin was the first to come out and then ever since then we have i know things have come out but i'm looking at you know my boys their toys and stuff mm-hmm. and there's so much that's it either lights up and goes with the beat or there is the puppets there's the we had for a long time till adam broke it uh we had the cookie monster you know it kind of talked a little bit and you threw a cookie plastic cookie in it <laughs> uh, oh, cocaine, whatever, and it did its thing. Uh, now we have that um, Bebo, whatever, it has a TV looking face, and then it has like a nine LED gotcha. screen on the stomach. You know, and they all dance and stuff. They do uh-huh. more things now. Oh yeah, but we have a we have one of those the dinosaurs. What do they call them? Um. Uh, gonna kill me now but 
this is what uh, Jameson asked for Christmas last year. It's one of those dinosaurs that comes with a remote, but it's got some sensors in front of it. So you can kind of interact with the, the dinosaur. Oh, really? And it does weird things. It'll cluck like a chicken and bark <laughs> like a dog and pretend it's a zombie and fart. And I mean, it does all kinds of different things. Yeah, the technology has just grown and grown and grown since Teddy, which was essentially a, a portable showbiz pizza, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, I was thinking, and this has kind of hit me recently from going through those uh, Christmas 1985 pictures. I got this gold robot, and I just did a quick search on Google. It's called the Magic Mike Robot. Uh, nothing to do with the stripper movie, but everything to do with, you know, the, the robots of the eighties. And this thing was pretty cool. It, it had a big red button on the top of its head and you pushed it and it would, uh, go. And I think it was one of those things where, you know, it would go until it hit a wall and then it would back up and go another way until it ran into something. And, you know, that was the kind of motion but the weird thing about it was you could also put a little bit of water in there and the thing smoked. That's cool. It like made a puff of smoke <laughs> and it smelled too. I don't know what the mechanism was that made it smoke. I mean, it wasn't as bad as like a cigarette or something, but the fact that it could do something different like that made it really cool. And I remember taking it to several people's houses and snapping pictures of it and such. And I found it at the, uh, I was at a thrift store just this past weekend and there it was just sitting there, uh, no price on it. I almost asked to see what they wanted for it. It was, you know, just loose, wasn't in the box or anything, but, uh, there was the uh, gold magic mic staring right back at me. I had to pick it up and, you know, check it out, but yeah, I mean, it was that was the thing back in the 80s. You think about all those, what do they call them, Omnibots that they were selling, I guess mainly for uh, for kids, but a couple comes to mind. One was uh, in the movie uh, The Night They Saved Christmas. And if you remember that TV movie with uh, Jacqueline Smith, <laughs> and when they go and visit Santa, they're at Santa's workshop, and here comes... I don't know, think it was an quote-unquote Omnibot, but it was one of those things where it could move and it walked up and, hi, I'm whatever. Would you like to hear a riddle? And it was, <laughs> it was you know, it was like, oh, my gosh. you know, what, a, what would it be like to have a robot in your house and help you out with homework and you know, <laughs> all that stuff? And then if you remember the, uh, the most recent Muppets movie, you know, they had that robot that drove the car. <laughs> Uh, I've yet to I have yet to robot. see that. I want to. Yeah, you need to go check it out. Just for that, that was like my favorite part. The '80s robot. Um, he like offers Kermit a uh, uh, new Coke while they're <laughs> driving, <laughs> like a new Coke. You know. Anyway, yeah, I'm on your on the same wavelength with you. And Teddy Ruxpin kind of took off and was the the biggest craze of that year. Was probably around '85 or '86 when that you know, hit shelves or something, but yeah, that was a good one, man. What about you? What's your, what's your next, I guess, um, number two? Hmm, well, I'm going to go with uh, MTV and 
just how it changed the way we consumed music. Uh, I definitely was not old enough to appreciate it when, you know, when it first launched in 1981. I was only five. So, it, but it was probably around eight or nine when I remember watching, you know, MTV on occasion, uh, sometimes late at night when we'd have uh, sleepovers or something. Uh, and we were just hysterically laughing at some of these crazy, crazy music videos that they would put on. And it wasn't just it was late at night, but, you know, throughout the day, <laughs> it, right. it became when you put out an album and, you know, your record company or whatever figured out what singles were going to be released from that album, then you built your music videos around those singles that were going to be released from the album. So it was just doing the music videos was a part of just how artists worked. And for some people, it was almost more important to have a really good music video and to get it on MTV than it was to have, you know, a good collaboration of music or putting out a a good album. Right. And it just kind of consumed the, the music industry and, of course, we got the MTV Video Music Awards that started. I think that was probably mid-80s or maybe a little bit earlier than that. Maybe 83, I think, was maybe the first one. So that really had an impact. And then, I guess, bouncing out of MTV, you just got so many new kind of genres of music all kind of mixed together. Because you think about Top 40, you know, it was you know, mainly rock and roll and what we would call rock music, uh, that kind of a thing. Sometimes you had some country crossovers in there, but you think about the birth of like rap and hip hop. And you think about like all the new wave bands that came over from England, uh, heavy metal, all of those different genres, MTV programmed around it, you know, think about Headbangers Ball that was like, mm-hmm. you know, late at night and they showed all the metal videos. But throughout the day, it was, it was a big mix. And a lot of those bands, uh, you know, especially you think about rap and hip hop, that was a big deal. And there was a lot of artists. One that I saw doing an interview on that, uh, that miniseries that night was David Bowie. And he was like, why aren't you showing the black artists on MTV? And, well, we just go with the popular music, blah, 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 you know, and they were coming up with some excuse. And he was like, oh, well, there you have it. You know, it was that there's a lot of these these artists that were fighting in on the side of. We got to do everything. We got to just open up the the Pandora's box of <laughs> the music industry and start playing, you know, R&B and rap and and then also some of these others that are coming in the, the metal heads and all of the new wave, crazy new wave bands as well. So I don't know. I mean, did you watch a lot of MTV growing up? And I mean, how big was an impact of MTV was on what you essentially went out and purchased or listened to? Uh, I didn't do much watching of it in the eighties, but I did early 90s, typically right mm-hmm. before school was when I'd watch it. Or like like you, when the MTV awards were on, I would somehow watch it. I watched it, I think, two or three 
years. I don't, I don't think I was mm-hmm. very, um, uh, it wasn't appointment TV by any means, but as far as influencing me, I was listening to it before I watched the video. So the videos never influenced me mm-hmm. as much as what was on the radio. What, what would, I guess, pique my interest is how at times, not always, but at times they actually had something different. Like mm-hmm. they, they, like there was the radio cut and there was the video cut when it came to the music. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. One that one that springs to mind, and I don't, I don't know why, was Mariah Carey's. Uh, was it someday? Yeah. You, yeah, lo- you lost me with Mariah Carey. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I w- it was a very short-lived crush on her, <laughs> but uh, I think it was someday. Anyway, there was a. Uh, the radio cut was mm-hmm. different than the video. The video had a little more zip to it, I guess, is but way, way, best way yeah. to put it. It was different. It's just a different uh, tone. Yeah. So I liked There's... it. But otherwise, I mean, MTV really didn't influence me all that much. If anything, you influenced me. I mean, that's how I learned how I gravitated or or liked Aerosmith or uh, uh, Run DMC. Heck, we both got. I think at the same time got hooked on uh, Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince. Yeah. So yeah, they had some popular music videos too. And yeah, I mean, there was a lot of those videos that took it the extra mile, told a story or tried to do a small little episode or production or something wrapped around a song, you know, probably the most famous one you think about is Michael Jackson's thriller. And that was a, I think it's like a 13 minute music video. And they have that you know, whole story set up. And then you have almost like an extended cut of the song, uh, especially in the middle of that bridge when they do the zombie dance. That goes on for several minutes just in itself. Right. And, you know, and then they finish out the story at the end. I remember uh, here's an impact moment. And I could be wrong about this, but this is somehow etched in my brain. I don't know if I brought it up on the show before or not, but I have a memory of going to the roller skating rink and they showing music videos while they played the tracks you would normally hear. And they showed Michael Jackson's thriller or some version of it while we were roller skating and the parents got upset (laughs) and made them essentially stop showing the music videos at the roller skating rink at skate station in Clearfield. And that would have been early on, you know, that would have been when I was seven, eight years old when I remember that happening. So I don't know. Anyway, I guess the point being is that MTV went beyond, you know, just what was shown on TV and that you, you put the music videos up in the skating rinks and bowling alleys and wherever you're going. So instead of just hearing the music, you're also getting some uh, some visual entertainment as well, right? I don't remember the the videos there at the mm-hmm. skate station, but uh, I do remember jamming out to basically whatever the DJ was playing, and I I was yeah. always curious. I wanted to I always wanted to go up there and see what the what the library was up there. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was you know pretty neat setup, I think, and it was on that back wall. I remember them having a screen that pulled down, but. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to uh, 
one of the, the original owners are still there. So <laughs> figure out if that factoid was true. But anyway, I, we could, I could go on and talk about music forever, but let's go on to your next choice. Well, my next choice would probably be our cell phone. And basically, I know that cell phone has been around to a degree for quite some time. Uh, the military had their version of it back in, uh, I know Vietnam, probably earlier days. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, you see some some movies or even shows, maybe MASH, where they you know pull the handset out and you, you wind it up, I guess, to charge the battery or dial or whatever. I don't know how it worked. Me being in the military, and I right. never saw one of those suckers. But nonetheless, I mean, that was a cell phone, but to get it into the a person's hand or car, <laughs> rather. Right, um, right. It was, you know, it was really the 80s. I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, he did make the handheld one, and every now and then you actually see him on a commercial. There was a commercial just not too long ago where it showed him, uh, probably a younger him, on the handheld one that you typically see on Saved by the Bell where, you know, you see Zach uh, calling <laughs> right. or pranking someone. Those big brick phones, the gray ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I... I had uh, the bag phone, a.k.a. the the car phone, for years in my little Turismo. I learned real quick. I I made very, very few phone calls on that sucker. That was back when it was uh, the cheapest time to call was at, you know, after seven, and it was a quarter a minute. So I made my my necessary call short and sweet to the point. I remember uh, not. I, I don't remember ever having a, a car phone or even cell phone up until uh, I was in. I think probably my first year in college when I when I got my first cell phone. But just going watching uh, Miami Vice and watching all those seasons on Netflix a couple of years ago, you know that was standard. They had the car phone in there in the uh, Ferrari, and then what kind of impacted me more was the cordless phone where you could, you know, you had the handset with that long silver antenna that you pulled out (laughs) and, you know, you had all of what about 20 feet. (laughs) It seemed like it seemed like it on some that you could go away from the actual receiver or whatever. And yeah, I, thought, I don't know. That somehow was was cool. You know, we could go out. We had a, a breezeway in between our house and the garage, but there's a porch swing out there. And, you know, my mom would be out there on that cordless phone talking to whoever. And uh, just the fact that you could do that was pretty cool back then, even though you had that <laughs> that uh, pointer, uh, chalkboard pointer, essentially on, <laughs> on oh, the yeah. headset, that antenna. You had to pull out a, you know, six feet, it seemed like. <laughs> yeah, I remember cool. those. Uh, they could probably be on the same innovation because, mm-hmm. you know, you could, it was a portable telephone. Like you said, you could just go anywhere to a degree. You could go anywhere. I remember testing that, seeing how far I could go with it. At some, somewhat, depending on the phone or where I was, I could get out to my, like, like my dad's garage, which was uh, quite a distance for mm-hmm. what it was. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I remember cool. those things. Uh, but yeah, and uh, you know, with the with the cell phone, I mean, push it up to now. You know, 
our cell phones are not our computers anymore. But without that cell phone, we wouldn't, you know, the start of the cell phone, where would we be right now type of thing? I mean, we carry tablets, but would there be a cell or a Wi-Fi or anything, in, you know, built into it had it not been for that right. wireless technology that, that came out? What about you? What's your Definitely number agree. three? Uh, you know what? I I don't know if this was necessarily uh, an 80s thing. It was probably invented way before that, and I was trying to do a, a, a quick little lookup, but I think mainly for residential use, microwaves were an innovation of the 80s. And not necessarily, well, I guess mainly we used it for leftovers at first, but then it became more of a, well, we could do whole meals in the microwave. Uh, I lived on nuked food for <laughs> pretty much my entire high school years. My mother, I mean, she would cook some, but it seemed like there was so much geared towards microwave cooking back in the 80s too, like in frozen foods and such. One of my favorite things to get was these hot dogs that had either cheese or chili in the middle. Do you remember those? Oh, yes. And it was all about quick meals and snacking and stuff, you know, back when I was in high school and even a little bit before that. And mom would get those and we'd pop them in the microwave. And I always got the chili ones. And that stuff inside was like lava, man. It was so <laughs> hot. And on the outside, you could just, oh, this is a nice hot dog. You bite into it and your mouth is literally scalding. But, you know, the microwave, I, I, we got our first one, I would say probably mid-80s. And it was the turn dial kind of a thing. And then I remember probably later in the 80s, I don't know if it conked out or what, but we upgraded and we got the push button one, you know, and that was a big oh, deal. Yes that you could just push a couple buttons and cook your food. But uh, I guess what was your first, when did you get your first microwave in your household? Was it in the 80s? It was. I was still in Dory Street, and it was uh, it was a big honking monster. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, they were, man. <laughs> there was no small one back then. It was like no. it was, there was a standard size, and that was your the, the size you got across the board. Yeah, which was you know size mediocre, um, but yeah, it was it was a big honking machine. I don't know that we used it all that much, mainly because it, it you know it took such a draw at the time uh -huh. on the on the, on the electric like you know the household yeah. electric. Oh, yeah. So we only used it few and far between, but uh, when we did, it was like I said, it was a beast. Yeah. Um, we still made popcorn and the old oil bath popper, so we never, we really never got the microwave popcorns. Oh man, we were all about the microwave popcorn back then. Um, man, I can't remember what we nuked in that thing. Probably a wise thing, not knowing. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I mean, I just remember it then, and then, um, you know, I mean, we use it almost for anything and everything now. Yeah. Uh, Back yeah, then, for me, it was all about the snacks. It was like those, you get those hot dogs, you get the, uh, those uh, bagel bites or the, um, what was the other ones called? The, the pizza, um, oh, it's going to kill me. But uh, you throw those 
in the microwave, nuke them up, and uh, eat those for snacks and and things like that. Um, didn't do a lot of like meals, the TV dinners kind of a thing in the microwave. It was more more or less all about the snackage. <laughs> <laughs> I remember using it for and leftovers, that kind of a thing. Um, the pizza rolls, you know, those those kind of snacks. So, yeah, I I grew up on nuked food, so uh, hopefully I won't have uh, too many problems <laughs> later well, in life. <laughs> well, I don't, you know, I don't, just about everything is nuked anymore for us, so it doesn't matter to me. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I know growing up, my mom was um, very reluctant in using it for, you know, it was kind of a new thing, so we didn't know what, right, yeah. what it did or didn't do. So we just we just didn't um gotcha use it all that much. I don't remember. I'm sure there were some TV dinners cuz I remember eating those. Again, they were few and far between. My mom liked cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh to her it was nothing. So however long it took her to make a, di- a meal. Uh, yeah. she might have used it to defrost things out of the freezer, but Right. Yeah, that was a that was a big thing too when that first came out was being able to defrost it and then you throw it in the regular oven or on top of the stove or something, you know, right. Get things going. But okay. Well, uh, I guess we've both chosen three. Yeah. So far. So I, let's just run down our list real quick here. Okay. And if we got any thoughts, you know, going back and forth, we can throw them out there. Uh, mentioned the VCR before. What about the answering machine? Did you guys ever have an answering machine? We did. It wasn't until, Oh, I think it was one of the late 80s before we mm-hmm. finally had one. And it was, I want to say it was, nope, it was the cassette. It was the big, you know, standard cassette oh, that we okay. had. Yeah, not the micro and cassette. No, and we still had to, you know, make our own or there was the default. There was a default cassette that uh-huh. came with it that you could use or you inserted your own and made your own recording. Yeah. Um, we had that for years, uh, both parents. Um, I know when I was there, I'm fast forwarding, but uh-huh. uh, I remember when I was uh, in uh, Scott Air Force Base, and the thing there, I don't know what it was, was to have your own custom funky, you know, message, voice message, message. <laughs> right, yeah. And the one that still got that got you, I wish I would have kept that little micro cassette just because it was funny was yeah. I had figured out a way. And of course I, here I am with a boom box or a small boom box rather, you know, up against the mic of the, the, uh, the answer <laughs> machine, but it's the technical difficulties thing from, uh, from <laughs> our radio station there in Clearfield. Nice. And I remember, you know, it, I had, I had figured out to get the music, just a little bit of music. And then it goes, we are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. And then a little bit of music. Beep. <laughs> and the message to, I, I remember it because it was so hilarious. I laughed my butt off was you called me and then your voicemail was nothing laughing, 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 laughing. Ah, oh, forget it. And hung up. Because <laughs> you couldn't get it. You know, like you were right. laughing so hard about it. But it, yeah, you got me. Yeah, but it played a role. In my my mom always thought my phone line was broke. She never got it. <laughs> but, that was a big deal back then. Having like a cool message, you know, 
Uh, I re <laughs> just in the last, uh, I don't know, several months. I, again, I'm on YouTube. I just go from video to video. That that right hand column on YouTube like owns me. But uh, I was clicking through and I came upon this old infomercial. Not really an infomercial, but a, a commercial for like a pre-recorded uh, answering machine tape. It was just full of messages, and it was little silly songs. It was there was like the rap, and it was like. We missed your call. I'm not at home. But leave a message and we'll, you know, whatever. And right. this guy was rapping and then there was like Beethoven. It was like, nobody's home. Yes, I remember that. You know, and then it would go on. There was like several different messages. I mean, so that was the big thing back then. You had to have a cool message on your answering machine. And I don't remember until like the 90s, early 90s when... I remember having an actual answering machine and then trying to come up with something funny or cool right. for when people called. But I mean, that was a big thing. Have to have something cool on your, on your messages. And then, you know, checking your messages was a, was a event in its own. You walk in the door and don't bother me. I got to check my messages, you know, <laughs> part of your daily routine. Right. Well, looking back at the answer machine, you know, had it not been for that, you know, here we are, we're at voicemail, digital, you know, voicemail now. But it was so fun, like you were saying, with all the, the different jokes you could have with it and fun. Yeah. And, you know, even even Verizon, I don't know if they still do it, but Verizon for a long, for, uh, I guess it's not a voicemail, but when you're ringing the phone, uh, mm -hmm. you can play music. Instead of being ring, 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 you hear right. you Bon Jovi or something going <laughs> playing while you're waiting. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So that's uh, that was another one that came out of the '80s. Uh, the camcorder. Did you have a camcorder? No, I never had a camcorder. Yeah. Growing up, I've seen them, <laughs> not in a museum, but I have seen them, and uh, yeah. they were big beasts. But uh, yeah, I never yes, had. One. They were. They were huge. I don't remember. Well, I do remember uh, operating one uh, uh -huh. there at school. Mr. Smeal would ask me to videotape the, the games. The basketball games. Yeah, that's and right. I, I remember making him sick, and I never videotaped again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was funny because, you know, he he asked <laughs> me in specifics. I guess it's, it's – it, it was that way even then. But he says, I want you to make sure that you, you keep your focus on the ball. Okay? I did. That's all you saw. Most of the game was the ball. You didn't see anybody else. You didn't see the team. You didn't see half court. You just saw the ball bouncing. Up. No. That's Along weird. with the camera. Yeah. We didn't I, – I don't remember having a camcorder growing up. or I, Nobody comes to mind, really, that had one, uh, even in our family. We got one – this was right before the smartphone, you know, era. This was probably around the, it was after we were married. So early two thousands, we got a small camcorder when uh, kids want to send video to the parents who are thousand miles away. Yeah, we, uh, <laughs> we got a video camera, uh, still got a bunch of those tapes actually of, uh, Jackson, who is now, oh gosh, going on 13 this year when he was a baby. So, yeah, I was late in the game to that kind of a thing. And then, you know, once the smartphones came out, it was like, why, why do I have this 
gadget. <laughs> right. uh, so it's probably, I think we might still have it. It's just sitting in the box somewhere. Anyway, uh, so camcorders, yes. Uh, you think about video games specifically, arcades, and then, of course, the the mid-80s, I think 85, when it was kind of, there was a, there was a video game industry crash in 1983, mm-hmm. where uh, it was right after Atari messed up and there's they're making all of these uh cartridges you know they were talking et and there's actually beyond et it was et and pac-man and all of these cartridges that they're just flooding the market with and they had this return policy and anyway that almost killed off the whole you know home console industry before the nes came in 85 and then from there it was you know we've been evolving consoles you know for 30 years now so that was a big deal and we talked a little bit about our home video consoles but you know arcades too man that was a that was a big thing i've from that documentary i remember this there was a point where the video arcade business the industry outsold like uh, movies, like Hollywood, that was like six billion dollars or something of just quarters, basically nice. from from the arcade industry. Uh, it it was it was huge, man. Big, if you think about that, you know, bigger than the box office, the movie box office. So that was a huge industry that that really hit the ground running at the beginning of the eighties and just built and built and built until. Essentially, Mario killed it off, <laughs> right? Uh, in all the home consoles, but right, and you know, the, all those arcades, they were honestly they were the they were the start of a, a big fad. I mean, look at it now. We're we're we now have it our on our cell phones or or uh, tablets, yeah. even the cheap tablets. You know, you buy it CVS or whatever for fifty bucks. <laughs> you know, you still download games off of that. But I still remember the like the mini Pac-Mans that made that annoying, oh, yeah. uh, you know, awful sound. But you had you loved it because it was like I got a portable Pac-Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had Donkey Kong, yeah, top Donkey Kong, and uh, that was another thing too that really took off. You think about Radio Shack and how that Radio Shack was huge in the '80s, and it was oh, all yeah. about those little uh, LCD handheld games and just the way those kind of evolved in into the late eighties with the game boy really becoming the first like handheld, you know, with cartridges and all that and how that's, you know, been evolved <laughs> over the last, you know, 25 years. Right. Uh, get, well, actually getting close to closer to 30 with the game boy. But yeah, that was a whole other industry in itself that really boomed in the eighties. Uh, I remember having a Pac-Man watch that you could play Pac-Man on. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, yeah, those were those were everywhere. Uh, we touched a little bit on this in our Christmas gift uh, episode with the personal computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had the the Texas Instruments, what was it, TI-99-4A, I think yep. I want to say. Yeah, uh, I, I know had the model, different model, you know, yeah. 4 or 4A or... 
not yeah. the foray. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I had that one. Well, the personal computer was just huge in the eighties. And if you don't think <laughs> that it was head on over to the, uh, the archive, the internet archive and, and search magazines. And there is hundreds of just personal computer and video gaming magazines that were published in the eighties. It's just, it's almost overwhelming to me to think about how, how big that just kind of took off. And then you have all these, uh, this whole community of people, you know, feeding in information and learning how to do this and that. And, and the skies were the limit with those things, you know? Oh yeah. You know, that whole making, uh, a computer, the part of your household, and then the early stages of the internet and how they hooked up through telephone lines and, you know, through the, you know, the nineties and the dial up modems and, you know, what it is today. But that's, it's really interesting to me. I started watching, I don't know if you've watched the show on AMC called halt and catch fire. It's all about the early days of, computing and it's it's set in the 80s it's more or less uh, uh fiction but they use some of the the bigger name companies you know as their they have this company that they made and uh different things and like the early stages of chat rooms and the internet and and all that it's been a pretty fun show i think they're up to season maybe three or four now i think i've watched through season three and uh, I like that sort of a thing. And, and it's, like I said, it's fiction. It's not all based on the actual timeline of how, you know, personal computers came about in the 80s. So if you can get around that, it's it's a pretty fun show to watch. Kind of like with the Goldbergs. You know, you watch the Goldbergs and you're like, oh, wait, that song didn't come out when that video game was out and why is, you know, this whole time it's 1980 something, you know, how they bill it. So if you can get past right. that, it's, it's a fun show, but right. Yeah, I you know were that one of the that... earlier ones that got a personal computer, at least in yeah, my circle. Right. And, and really because my dad wanted us to learn more than just, you know, playing mm-hmm. the games and it, I did program with it. I uh, went through the book, Mm-hmm. But the downside with all the programming is how long do you want to spend on it? Because uh, you <laughs> you programmed it, and usually you lost it. Just, you know, there was no save unless, um, you know, like I said, years later, yeah. we had that that, or you bought the, the very expensive, floppy. yeah, floppy drive, which was just a phenomenal cost. But nonetheless, it was mm-hmm. – I liked it. I uh, Maybe it's just because I had it and I'm jaded. But I really enjoyed having. I still have have it to this day. I I haven't broken it out for a, a few years. Uh, but what I mm-hmm. what I have done, I ended up having to buy a new the TV controller or, or the rather the TV module that hooks up in the back of the TV. Mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. to buy a new one of those, and I don't know how I ever lost it, but I lost the the speech synthesizer adapter that I never knew what that thing did. I mean, it made, it made it speak. I got that, but, but mm-hmm. there was a little door that opened up. No idea what that did. 
It's like you don't put anything in it. Uh, there's no like extra cartridge or whatever. I never understood what it did, but yeah. um, nonetheless, I I enjoyed it. I'm I'm actually going through eBay now just out of curiosity. So many people want to get rid of this thing. <laughs> there's probably about fifty of them for sale right now, and they vary. There's some that say that's new in box for like two or three hundred dollars, and then there's you can tell people just want it out of their closets. Thirty bucks, go. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a lot of stuff like that. Now. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I remember you know us at school. We were using that Apple II C, I think is what it was. Yes. And I remember learning that pretty well. And I remember, I still remember that uh, Mr. Moore screaming at me, which he often did anyway at anybody. But uh, I remember him <laughs> screaming at me specifically because. He says, don't touch the computers. You just wait for me. And he went back probably two minutes or whatever. And here I am trying to see if one of my programs that I had, I remembered off by heart, I'm sitting there trying to see if the Apple will respond to it. And he's like, what do I tell you? Don't touch the computer. You don't know what you're doing. I'm like, yes, I do. I have a computer at home. <laughs> yeah, he didn't like backtalking either. You you easily yeah. walked out of rooms with you backtalked him. Oh yeah, we could we could tell a bunch of stories on him. Oh yeah, uh, and maybe we will someday. But um, <laughs> I remember those those Apple twos. It was gaming. It was all about gaming for me on for, those things. Mostly and, for me for the Apple because I liked watching. What was that? It was a typing game that we used to love playing. I can't remember what a, it was called. There was a couple of them. There was one where you. I think it was like missiles or something. It's kind of like, like Space Invaders, but the quicker you right. type, the more shots you got off. Right. And and then there was a Snoopy game, too, where you, it was like learning how to type and where the keys were and stuff. And oh, uh, yeah. Mr. States would get so pissed at us for, you got to stare at the screen. Stop looking at the keyboard. You know, <laughs> I'm going to shut it off. <laughs> so then you, you try to actually do it, and you're like, oh, I suck at typing. <laughs> <laughs> And then there was another game called uh, Agent USA. You remember this one? Oh yes. Where you uh, you're this like little hat with legs, and you went across the country and you're trying to find this bomb, the fuzz bomb. Yeah, is what it was called, and it was basically uh, this TV with legs, <laughs> and you uh, it would go across the country and it would infect other people, and then it would like infect cities and like a virus. And you had to get these crystals, and once you laid them out, like if one of the the people that were uh, if one of the people that were infected touched the crystals, then we turned into a regular person again. You know, and then you got to get so many, and then you got to touch the fuzz bomb, and you win the game. But you would, you know, get on the train, and you try to skip in uh, without getting a ticket. You just time it right and jump on the train. You know? <laughs> oh man, well, we played that forever. Yes, we did. Uh, there and i man uh this makes me want to play right now <laughs> it was fun and it was simple too it wasn't like oh yeah you know it was basic but nonetheless it kept our attention and uh, i was all the time wanting to play that on that uh computer but uh okay well let's go on we got a couple other things here and then we'll wrap it up for tonight one thing i wrote down was the uh the space shuttle mm-hmm. and uh, particularly the Columbia space shuttle uh, was the first one. I think that was maybe 82, 83. Can't yeah, remember off the top of my head. I watched it the other night there on that, that documentary and, and how much that just changed the whole 
space game, being able to take a shuttle up into space and bring it back and land it, you know, right. Uh, and reuse it. <laughs> Just being able to do that and how much money, you know, NASA probably saved. And then of course the, uh, the fateful day when the challenger exploded and how much that kind of impacted us personally as kids. Uh, I remember watching that in the lunchroom. I don't know. If, I don't know if you remember that or not, but I I can remember watching in the lunchroom and then we basically left early that day to be, you know, with our families uh, right after right. lunch. Well, um, I, I was actually homesick. Oh, really? I, I can't remember what exactly I was watching beforehand, but I was homesick and I remember laying on our couch and I'm you know, just watching it go up and kaboom. I'm like, oh, are you, are you kidding yeah. me? Or, you know, what, what just happened? And yeah, I was, I was just yeah. shocked is probably the well, best way to put it. Yeah. I mean, that was, again, that was back in the time when TV was everything and, you know, appointment television, there was teachers and such that were trained and were going to go up in the space shuttle and the whole country was watching. And just the, the effects of that nationwide was just ripple effect. And, you know, it's just one of those, where were you moments that will stick with you and became etched as part of the eighties when that happened, but it's still, I don't I can't remember if it was about a year later when they went up again and, you know, dedicated that flight to the crew and pushed forward, you know, too. So that was, it was a tragedy that was essentially overcome. Right. Um, not forgotten, but pushed forward and learned from mistakes and, and so forth. But yeah, that was a huge, huge part of the eighties and uh, being able to do that. And then uh, I think we pretty much talked about everything else on our list. We did get one tweet. I, I tweeted out a a quick little message about what was your favorite, you know, innovation or invention of the 80s. At Jay Swash said, uh, given the hours of traveling I did in the late 80s, we'd probably say the Walkman. Hello, mixtape. <laughs> and then he said the McRib would be a close second. <laughs> I didn't even think about food, <laughs> McRib, yeah. Oh my gosh, I love those things. I still, I, I try to stay away from McDonald's if I can. I, I get the the fries suck me in usually. Yep. When I'm going for a McDonald's binge, I've sworn off the the fast food burger now for several years. I'm trying to stay away from those things. But uh, the McRib, I will make a special trip to McDonald's when those McRibs come out every year to get one of those and just to be a sloppy mess. <laughs> <laughs> but man, me and my mother liked them too. And we always like, uh, I felt like it was a triumphant day when we were watching television. We see the commercial that the McRib is back. We're like, yeah, let's do a party, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I, I guess, uh, you know, fast food had been around forever, but it seemed like there was some things like that, maybe that the eighties really pumped up. I wonder if the uh, shamrock shake was an eighties thing. I was thinking maybe it might've been a little bit earlier, but it seemed like the, you know, they had those gimmicks back then. And 
and the Happy Meals, you know, and how they tied those in with all of the properties and cartoons and such. And they had Dukes of Hazard Happy Meals with the little plastic cars and stuff. And they got real creative with the Happy Meals, too. Right. Well, um, you just asked, uh, here's your answer to your question. Mm-hmm. The Shamrock Shake, uh, at least according to Wikipedia, it started in 1970. Oh, wow. But yes, it was, uh, it started, yeah, it started out, yeah, 1970, but it didn't really get marketed until the 80s is when it really gotcha. got marketed. Okay. So yeah, we they marketed, I guess, better. Uh, yeah. Invented earlier, but really pushed nationwide. Right. And even if you uh, think of the, the gaming console, you know, you had Pong was the very first one. It came out in 78, 79. Uh, even your handheld. Actually, really dev- that, I think. It might have been. And then your mm-hmm. handheld arcade, you know, the, if you think about those old, um, like that football game you had, I think oh, yeah. it started out yeah, in the like late 70s. Mattel, Mattel Electronic Football and Baseball. Yeah, yeah those were in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So, but really. Like like you said, everything kind of just got catapulted in the eighties, and I think, I think what helped it really was because of that FCC ruling, where oh, they yeah. could really just push and push any and everything into our brains. Yeah, the, the marketing thing, floodgates were opened. That's it, and I think that's what helped it. It was was that because you know who? Well, of course, I would have been like four or five, but when when you know, even if you were to have walked into uh, a radio shack in 86 had it not been if the fcc law had not been lifted would you think you'd probably be more apt to go visit radio shack more to go see what the latest and greatest is because you couldn't see it on a commercial or yeah or you wouldn't be able to watch you know mask and go see the latest transforming car you right know? right yeah, so. it, it just it turned the the whole industry, the toy industry, basically on its head because up until that point, it was okay. You can push a cartoon on kids; it's got to have some value, and then you can build off of that series toys and and whatever else. And it just turned that upside down, where it was like the toy companies were, all right, we're going to create this and start manufacturing these toys, and then now we're going to build a cartoon around that to get people to kids to watch. Right. You know, so it just flipped that whole, and that was, I think in 80 or 81, I think when Reagan signed that FCC act. And I know it was early because that's about when transformers and everybody else came out. Well, yeah, it was, I believe it was he man. He man was the biggest hit first. I want to say that was like 82 or 83. And then, you know, from there you get G.I. Joe, Transformers, Thundercats, you know, the whole nine was, uh, you know, the half-hour toy commercials. And, you know, that, that's why we had those PSAs at the end. That was their uh, <laughs> their compliance a little bit to make it a somewhat uh, educational. Educational, yeah. Um, to get around some of those rules that were still in place, but... Yeah, I mean, you could basically get in people's pockets first <laughs> and then build a TV show to to tell them why you should like this, you know. <laughs> right. And it worked. Uh, it did. It did. And just, I, I don't, 
I'm not one of those people that's going to say, oh, that was the wrong thing to do. And just Saturday mornings was, you know, the greatest day of the week. And then later on, it was afternoons in, in syndication and stuff when those shows would come on. And gosh, we just had everything back then as a kid. And I don't know. There's sometimes I think when I'm I'm thinking about my boys and my little girl and their experience now, it's just so much different. And their brains are, are mainly wrapped around technology and in games. And ours was just grabbing a bowl of cereal and uh, your favorite blanket, a flip over a futon, make a fort and watch your, <laughs> watch your shows on Saturday morning. Oh yeah. You know, that was the whole, the whole week revolved around that. So anyway, uh, I could go on that for a long time. But, <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you, Jay, for, uh, for chiming in on, on Twitter. And uh, as always, you guys can reach us at RD80s on Twitter if you've got some uh, feedback on the show. And occasionally I will throw a question out there before we record so we can get some instant feedback. But uh, I think that's going to about do it, man. We covered a lot on this show. Yeah, we did. And, and uh, awesome stuff. Kind of kind of ad-libbing and, and on our experience, you know, I, I, these are the kind of shows that I like where... I, it's good taking notes, and you want to have a, a show to uh, for people to listen to that's interesting and uh, somewhat entertaining. But uh, just kind of feeding off our memories, man. This is it's fun. Oh yeah, always. Well, uh, I guess that wraps it up. So we want to thank you once again for joining us on our special edition '80s Innovations. We enjoy collaborating with our friends of the '80s League, and we also invite you to collaborate with us. Shoot us comments of today's episode or ideas or maybe memories you ha- may have that might spark topics for us. We're always looking for that. We will never shun away a topic. We might actually not even have it in our list. <laughs> so, uh, But nonetheless, thank you all for your intrigue, being fans, and we invite you to come back next time. Same bat time, same bat channel on The Memory Jogger. This has been a production of the Rediscover the 80s podcast. Visit rediscoverthe80s.com to find our show notes for this episode and others. Join us again next time for the Memory Jogger podcast.